0: Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, March 12th, 2023. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 28. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Before we get started, I just wanna say thank you very much, Larry, what a blessing. We've got so many folks that sing and play musical instruments and can lead us in singing in that way. And and uh, Larry just stepped up to the plate. But thank you so much, Larry. And that uh, we haven't sung two of those songs here. And I didn't know that one. Some of us probably didn't. But that last one, I remember singing that one often growing up. And 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 the another one, not the first one. We probably sang that one here. But um, really appreciate that that the words. So good, so good, and, uh, and with that in mind, though, let's, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to be in verses 24 to 28 this morning, and we're going to be looking at the faith of Moses, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, next week we're going we're to do the same thing again, but this week we're going to deal with the text more. Next week we're going to look at how Moses and the Hebrews' deliverance from, from Egypt is a picture of our deliverance from sin, particularly next week as Moses is a type of Christ. But let me read verses 24 to 28, and then, and then we'll pray and we'll get started. By faith, Moses, when he was grown, grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord God, our heavenly Father. This morning we come in the name of Jesus with these words before us. I pray that they would be very helpful to us as Christians. and For someone here who is not a Christian, that today, as we think about these words from your word, that by hearing the word and, <clears throat> and proclaiming the gospel of Christ, that salvation might come to hearts this morning. I pray that Jesus would increase. I pray that I, that we, would decrease pray that Jesus would be truly more beautiful to us. Even as we've already sung about him this morning. Father, may the text point us to him as well. Father, in spite of me, I pray that you would work. Thank you again for this time. We give you this, this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the faith of Moses. And I look forward to considering Moses today and next week. And hopefully it'll be, it'll be very helpful to us. I have some applications certainly throughout, but I have four truths about faith. Okay? And I'm gonna go ahead and give them to you so you know where we're going. Four truths about faith. And and I'll go ahead and tell you I will miss a, probably a couple of things you might expect me to, to talk about in the text, but we'll pick them up next week if we if we miss them. But here's the four truths for today first truth about faith. Faith unites the heart with the people of God. So that's number one. Number two, faith views suffering with the people of God as something, as a, a, as something valuable or a worthy goal. Three, faith endures. I, om- I almost have that point every week because that really is, the, that's the point, the pastoral application of the book of Hebrews endure suffering hardships Four. faith looks to the sacrifice of god for salvation so let's begin number one faith unites the heart with the people of god look at verses 24 and 25 by faith moses when he was grown up he refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So notice the desire, the heart of this grown-up Moses. It is to be associated with the Hebrews, who are called the people of God there in Egypt. Now, Moses grew up in, where did he grow up? In the household of Pharaoh. Who was Pharaoh? He was the king. He was... the highest. He was the man in charge. And his family was what? Very wealthy. And so by legal standards though, Moses, he was adopted. He was considered to be the son of an Egyptian, though he himself was Hebrew. He was adopted into the most powerful family in Egypt, maybe even in the world. Yet when he was older, he chooses to leave that, to not associate himself with the With Pharaoh and that family. Now, the text doesn't say that he associated with the Hebrews because he himself was a Hebrew. The text says that he associated with those people because they were the people of God. That's very important. And this association happens only by faith. In other words, the only reason the text gives to Moses leaving all that alone is faith. Faith. So by faith, Moses was united to the people of God. And I believe this was his, his great desire from his heart. Otherwise, why would he have left all the money, all the wealth, all the power, all the prestige, all of the upper culture, etc., of Pharaoh's family to go and to associate himself with a nation of slaves, that he wouldn't even be willing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He, was, he went to hang out and be with the Hebrews who were slaves. So it's not just to identify with them, but to say, I'm actually one of them. And so this is very real. And only faith could do this. So in the same way today, the person of faith desires to identify with God's people. I think of a few examples. Think about a magnet. A magnet is drawn to metal. And it's just, that's just what happens when you pull out a magnet. I think of oil when I make spaghetti. And I pour the oil in there so it won't stick. But first thing I do, the oil goes everywhere. But immediately, what's the oil do? It goes right back in the middle with the rest of the oil. I think of Ruth and Naomi, if you want to go back to the Old Testament. And she says... Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. This is what Moses said. And those of you who know me, in my car, I usually don't read at home. But in my car, I listen to a lot of books. And I like war history. And all the examples, particularly this past book, I just listened to, World War II. And there are these soldiers in the fox in the holes there that they dig to keep them from being shot. There's nothing more precious to a, a soldier in a foxhole than the other soldier right there with him. And so in the same kind of way faith, faith, draws us together with God's people. I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul when he writes, Over and over, I could have brought out so many verses, but just a few verses. He writes to the Romans, and here's what he says to the Roman Christians. I long to see you. To the Philippians, he says, for God is my witness how I yearn for all of you. He says to the Philippians, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, you are my joy and my crown. So the application for us, very simply, is do you love God's people we might we might put that in another way we might say do you love the church and not just the universal church we might say yeah I love all my, I love my brothers and sisters all over the world but how we play that out and how do we work that out is not in that regard it is right here among ourselves so my question is do these words and these actions of Moses and what we just read from the Apostle Apostle Paul fit your experience as you consider the one who is sitting beside of you And I often I say this often um, through, throughout my preaching, particularly the last few years it often we have a very con- consumerist consumer consumeristic mindset about coming to church. It's about what I can get, even the sermon, what great songs I can sing and what emotion I can, bring forth or can come my way or what, what I get or maybe some, some kind of just pleasure out of doing your duty. That's all focus on ourselves. But at the end of the day, we, we come not just to hear all those things and get all things, all those things will happen. We come to say, how can I serve and love and care for the one who is sitting beside me? And so very clearly, faith does this and so if you're not thinking about the person beside you when you come to church on a general basis, then where is your faith? If your heart is continually drawn to other things besides the people of God, I mean, if you really think about your own heart, we would have to question where is your faith. So here's a question. Who do you, like a magnet or like that oil, gravitate towards? Do you gravitate towards the world that is out there or to the people of God? I think in many cases, professing Christians, I think, I'm not not so much thinking about us here, Grace, just general statement. I think that professing Christians sometimes just merely tolerate the people of God on Sundays or whatever days they meet together. I see evidence from our culture that as Christians, we often think in terms of just going to a building, listening to a sermon, or just merely attending as if we've done our duty for the week. I'm just telling, that is a mindset. So if somebody's traveling, they go, oh, it's not a big deal. I just go on and listen. Or I've listened to whoever my favorite preacher is. Or, you know, I chose to be... It's as if doing listening to a sermon to get some teaching is a duty. This is so far from what we find here with Moses and with faith, what the Bible treat, teaches. And, and, and I hope that that's not our case here because I think we know better than that. But We often see that. But with Moses, what does he do? He chooses not just to go do his duty... He chooses to be mistreated with the people of God than than to enjoy what the text says, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Because, brothers and sisters, sin is fleeting. It is pleasurable, but it will fleet and it will go away for sure. And so Moses, he chooses to be with God's people. And so the church is a people, not a place Not a building, not really an event, not just a weekly meeting, not just an attendance on Sundays so you can check your box off and say, I've done my duty. The world knows we are Christians by the way we love one another. And if we could get down to the heart, which we can't often do, it's how we associate with God's people. And those whom we love are our treasure. And those whom we treasure, those we love. So we, as Christians, those of, who have faith, we treasure the fellowship with other Christians. This is what faith does. So that's that's number one. That faith draws us to the people of God. Well, even further, though, number two. Faith views suffering with the people of God as a worthy goal. Now, this gets so much more difficult than that first truth look at verse 26 it's already brought up in 25 but moses considered the reproach of christ greater wealth than the treasures of egypt so by faith moses with all of his rights as pharaoh's daughter all the wealth in that family all the power all the prestige, all of the upbringing, he would rather identify with the Hebrews, the people of God. And if we look back to, again, verse 25, to associate with the Hebrews meant that not only would Moses leave his riches, but he would also, what would happen to him? He would be mistreated with the people of God. And then verse 26 Our author here speaks to the Hebrew Christians of his day in that context, calling this mistreatment the reproach of Christ. So I'm going to talk about that here in a minute. But in other words, just as Moses, by faith, chose to be mistreated with the people of God, so the readers of Hebrews in that day would have also been leaving behind the old Mosaic system and everything there. And so he was saying, you need to leave that behind and move on to the one-time sacrifice of Christ. Which we've been getting that week after week for the entire book of Hebrews. But there's more here than just making a choice between being persecuted with God's people or the riches. There, <clears throat> it's much deeper. This is such a telling verse, verse 26, when it comes to suffering persecution and associating with the lowly, associating with the humble. If I'm reading these verses correctly, and I think I am, Moses, this is very important, he considers suffering with God's people, who, by the way, were slaves, he considers suffering with God's people as something valuable, even more valuable than the wealth of Egypt. So when the world would look at Moses and say, You got the best family, you got the most money, you got the most power, you got the most influence. On and on we could go if we did a study on everything that Moses and that family would have had there is the the son of of of, of Pharaoh's daughter. He had it all. But yet, something about suffering with the people of God, faith puts Value upon that, even above all of the things of this world. And so I just w- will say very quickly and clearly only faith can do this. Only faith understands what I just said. What Moses possessed by faith with the Hebrews could not compare with the riches that he had before he left his family. So he compares suffering with wealth. Have you ever done that? He calls it, hear the text, the reproach of Christ. And so what is the reproach of Christ? What does it mean to be reproached? Well, I'm gonna just very simply, to bear the reproach of Christ means to suffer the same persecution that Jesus suffered. To experience the conflict associated with a world that hates Christ. Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will what? They will persecute you. A servant is not greater than his master. Now, you may find this truth a bit difficult that you might think, hey, I've never really thought of suffering with the people of God as something valuable, because here we are in our big health and wealth and prosperity. That's all we hear in preaching. If you go on the radio and you hear and you read books, that's what we hear. So we have a hard time for that, because it does make, that mindset makes its way, oh, God is obviously blessing you with money or with whatever. So therefore, there's this great blessing Well, Moses is saying, hey, it's more valuable for me to actually go there and not just identify, but to suffer with those people. And so we might find this difficult for which of us likes to be persecuted. Um, (laughs) But I would say, of course, none of us love to be or want to be persecuted, but we don't have to like it to find it valuable. We do not seek out persecution, but when it comes... Here's the, here's the key. By faith, we will esteem it as valuable. That's what... It, it, just think about Acts chapter 5. There the apostles are, very beginning of the church, after the coming of the Holy Spirit. They're preaching the gospel, and they are immediately put into prison. We don't to you told know, exactly how many of them there, but it says the apostles were put into prison. And during the night... An angel of the Lord comes and opens the prison doors, and they walk right out in front of everybody, but not in front of everybody. It's a miracle. And so they walk out, and what do they do the very next morning? Do you think they cower in fear? What do they do? They hurry. The text tells us in Acts 5, they ran back to the temple so that they could go back in the temple in the place of power and prestige where everybody goes, and they went right back down to the temple to preach what they've been told not to preach. And so what happens? Again, the religious leaders come down there and they take them into custody again where they question them again. And and they say, didn't we ask you, tell you, and put you in prison? And here we've got you again. Did we not tell you not to preach in this name, the name of Jesus? And what do they say? Which we talked about this last week. It is better to obey God than it is to obey men. And so what happens to them when they say that? They beat them. I'm sure it was a pretty bad beating. And then after they beat them, and there's some other stuff in that story, as another religious leader steps in and says, just let them go now. But they let them go. And then what did they say? Immediately when they left, the text tells us in Acts 5.41, then they left the presence of the council, moping, hanging their heads, and crawling on their knees. No, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were worthy, that's the key word, that they were worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So they found it valuable in some way to suffer the reproach of Christ. In the same way Moses, when he left, found it valuable to suffer with the people of God. Now, did they like the floggings and the persecutions? Of course they didn't, but they find it valuable. In other words, it was worth it. It was really worth it. This is exactly what we see with Moses. And so here's our truth. People of faith find persecution with the people of God valuable. Now, here's an application. Faith does not value what the world values. And that's where we see that with Moses. The Bible says you cannot serve both God and, as King James says, mammon, both God and money. And immediately after that, it says you cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve two masters. Faith always chooses that which is most valuable to the heart that which is more worthy faith always does that and such is Christ as we're Christians today so who do we find what do we find valuable we find Christ valuable and listen to this beautiful hymn that we often sing says this when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died. In other words, when I consider the cross of Christ, my richest gain I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. And Here's the verse I like. This writer says, thinking of Christ and the value of Christ, he says, "Were the whole realm of nature mine. In other words, if I owned everything there is in nature, everything there is, that would be a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. Christ is more valuable, and that which comes from following Christ, whether it's persecution, whatever it will be, it is more valuable than anything the riches of this world can give us. Now, before moving on to the next truth, <clears throat> let me just share a couple smaller truths here about Christ when we think about Moses he left his glory in Egypt so he left glory okay great glory in that household to suffer with the people of of God as Christians you should immediately say what did Christ do for us what did he leave he comes takes on flesh And he suffers, greater than we've ever suffered, but he suffers for us. Paul writes to the Philippians, speaking of Christ leaving his glory in heaven, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality. Yes, the Bible is clear, Jesus is God, okay? Did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped or something to be held on to. But emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, we do not follow Jesus' example by becoming a sacrificial uh, death on the cross. We may die, but we will not be the one-time sacrifice because there is only one sacrifice, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. But we do follow his example in the way we treat one another, in the way we associate with one another. Another brief truth. As Moses found suffering with the people of God is valuable, so it is written of Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So if you just think about your own sin, even this morning, I I consider the sins of particularly of my heart, the sins of omission, whether they're sins of commission or omission or sins of the heart, whatever we've done, and to think that the only way that you could be saved from your sins is that God, as Moses left everything, that God would come take on the form of flesh, Christ would come and die on the cross and suffer for you. And it was joyful to him to do that. And that's what it took. That should bring us great rejoicing. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Even in Hebrews, he's saying, endure, press on, don't fall back. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What a beautiful Savior we have this morning who associates with the lowly, who associates with sinners. In fact, if you want to take it a step further, he associates with his enemies. But God commanded his love towards us while we were yet still sinners, enemies. Christ died for us. So that's truth number two. Truth number three about faith. And again, this is very repetitive every week. It seems like it hit this one, but faith endures. This is good for us. We need to endure this week and next week and the week after. Look at verse 27. <clears throat> By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, for th- <clears throat> this is the context of the book of Hebrews endurance by faith and what is faith well I'm hoping that this is about I don't know how many sermons I preach in Hebrews 11 but I'm hoping by hitting all these aspects and pictures stories of faith that week after week after week we might just get a little different aspect and thought of what faith looks like and what it is and it's been very 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 helpful but what is faith essentially look at Hebrews 11:1. Now, faith is, so here it is, and I'm using the ESV. I like another translation better on this, but this is good. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, So for the person of faith, if you have faith, invisible things become substance to you. It's by faith. (laughs) It's hard to use the word substance, but it is. By faith, Moses saw the invisible God. And in this way, so when we think about Moses, by faith, back in Egypt, before he left, Faith was there, otherwise he wouldn't have left, right? So faith was there, and he he was looking forward to the promises of God. So this faith came, he saw the invisible God. Now, Moses is one of those people in the Bible that that, doesn't it say God spoke to him face-to-face, okay? And so this was before the burning bush, before the face-to-face encounters. Moses had faith, and this is, this is important as we come back to this later on in application. But Moses had faith. And so through all of his years, after he very briefly there spent some time with the Hebrews and, and, and killed that man, and then he fled out into the desert, I think, I don't know how many years. I, I, some of you have studied that more. I've, I don't know, but it's quite a few years, I think close to 40 He was in the desert before he ever came back to Egypt. again. But through all of those years and all of those difficulties, Moses, he endured it all. So the immediate application of this truth is that if you have faith, you will endure through hardships, through trials, and you will endure until the end. With Moses, he trusted the promises of God, looking forward. And more than the promises... He trusted the one behind the promise. It's always the case. We trust God, the one who who is behind all the promises. And though Moses could not see it as, I see you, I don't need faith to look at Brooks. Okay, he's right there, good looking as ever. Right? All of you guys, some of you, don't laugh now. We were younger at one time too, Steve, so, but you're still very good looking. I can see you. I don't need faith. We see one another. But Moses needed faith to look forward, forward. And so that's very important for us as we look back. And he did not see with his eyes Christ. He did not. And I don't believe he, he knew exactly how God would fulfill his promise in the Messiah, though I believed he, he knew that a Messiah was coming one day, because he just you read the Old Testament from Abraham back. You just see, they're waiting for this one to come from the seat of the woman who would be the Messiah one day. They, so they, they all have that aspect, but he did not know how this would take place or exactly what would happen. But he knew that looking forward to this promise, that his sins would be covered and his soul would be saved. And so in that way, by faith, who did he look forward to? Christ. Though he did not know as we know. Genesis 3.15, the promise. Basically, God says to Satan, he, <clears throat> after they fell, he speaks to the man, speaks to the woman, he speaks to Satan. He says, One's coming, and that one will bruise, excuse me, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. In other words, there's something's gonna happen there that sin is gonna be taken care of. Sin and death and Satan. And things will will be made new very clearly. And so he knew that was coming. Do you remember what Jesus said of even Abraham back in John 8? He told the religious leaders in John chapter 8, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see what? My day. Abraham rejoiced to see the day of Christ by faith. And he even says, Jesus says, he saw it. Well, did he see it? Well, he's speaking in the terms of faith. He saw it, and he was glad, and he endured. This means there is something, or more, to be more precise, someone that faith holds on to. We might call it the eyes of faith that causes us to endure. That causes us to move on the next day, and the next day, and the next day. In the next day, no matter how hard or difficult life is, no matter what it is, we have, and and I don't think it's necessarily uh, in our time right now, though it's coming, we never know, history goes like this, persecution great, persecution peace little, persecution great, peace little, but we have enough problems with sin, and Satan, and with the things of this world going on with our own lives, that we need endurance for, all of these things. So, faith endures. Moses looked forward to the day of Christ because it was God's promise. Today, as we read the book of Hebrews, we have the full revelation of God's promise in whom. So we're looking back, aren't we? It's in Jesus. Hebrews 1 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Now look over at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We're going to get there. Some of the most famous, greatest verses in all the Bible. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that are, those are the folks from Hebrews 11, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to who? Looking to Jesus. That's what we do as Christians. That's what faith does. Faith is created for one reason. Well, many reasons, but one reason to start us off. To hold on to Christ. That's what we do. That's what faith does. The founder, finisher, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we look back upon the personal work of Jesus, and by looking unto him by faith, we still, well, actually, we we can say throughout history that It's a historical fact that he lived, that he died, that he rose again. So in that way, it's really not by faith, right? But we live by faith looking forward to the promises of God to come one day. So we look back, but we still live by faith knowing that one day God will do away with sin and death and Satan. He will recreate a new heaven and a new earth. And this is how we live now and... We endure. And so if you're like me, sometimes, some weeks, I feel like I'm just barely hanging on by a, just a thread. That it, It's a thread that God can only give by faith because there's nothing to that thread. And I feel like, wow, I cannot go on. And I pray like the father of the demon-possessed man who came to Jesus after Jesus Cast out this demon of this, this father's son. The father says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I feel like that a lot. This man, in that particular instance, looked unto Jesus, and this is what we must do always, every day, for without him we can do nothing. John 15. One application. Faith casts out fear. Moses does not, says it here in the text, fear the anger of the king, but instead he endures. Faith does not fear man and what man can do to us. Instead, faith fears God and God alone. So if we are doing what is right by faith as we look unto Jesus and as we live our lives as he commands, we will not fear what man thinks of us. So I, I often think of those of you who are in college, those of you who are in high school particularly, and all of your friends, a lot of your friends are not Christians. What are you gonna do? Are you gonna listen and give in? Are you going to fear them? Or are you going to do what's right and fear God? It, whether in our workplaces, doesn't really matter. Wherever we are we must fear God and not Man, I think Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So that's third truth finally this morning. Last truth for us. Faith looks to the sacrifice of God for salvation. Now, we've already really talked about this already but I want to get a little bit more specific here in the text. Look at verse 28. This is talking about Moses and his faith. By faith, he kept the Passover, and he sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. The destroyer is the angel of death. The capital (laughs) A, there it is, destroyer of death. So in these verses, we see that by faith, Moses institutes the Passover and in doing this what does Moses do he trusts the blood of a lamb we just take it for granted but at that particular time when this was instituted this is amazing truth so let's think about that for a moment after the Exodus God will give Moses all kinds of laws laws that will govern the nation it will tell them how they should live morally, it will tell them how they should act, it will tell them how they should treat one another, it sets up their whole system of law. It, and then, it, more importantly, the, all these laws about worship and how they should worship God. And it's interesting that the Passover is the very first law given to the Hebrews. The very first one, okay? Because this is before Mount Sinai, where they get out there and all the laws come. This is a law which shows its importance. Now, Egypt had just lived through nine plagues, okay? We know the story. Ten plagues, nine of them had come, devastated the country. Yet Pharaoh was unwilling to let them leave. And we know that any right man in his own mind would have let them go. But the Bible says over and over that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's a miracle in and of itself why he didn't let them go sooner. But this was to show God's power. So after the nine plagues, Pharaoh says, nope, still not going. But the time had come for one more plague. And this was the the worst of all. This was the death of the firstborn where the angel of the Lord would come down and the firstborn of every household, firstborn male, First, or excuse me, firstborn of every household of both people and animals would be killed. And so God gives instructions to Moses. And here's what he says. He said, I want each family to kill, slaughter a lamb, take its blood, and put it over your doorposts. And when the angel of death comes, if the blood is on the doorpost, then the, the angel will just pass over, okay, the door." of the household, and there will be no death in that household. And that's, that's what God told Moses to do. And then he told them, after they killed the lamb, put the blood over its doorpost, he tells them to, to cook up the lamb, to eat every bit of it, and put on their sandals. Because the next day, they're heading out of Egypt, okay? What kind of timing is that, to go and all of a sudden slaughter all of these lambs, one for each household. And we were told there were about a million people just with the men, okay? A lot lot of people. Um, I don't know my facts on that one, but a lot of people. And so think about all those lambs that had to be slaughtered at this institution, this law given at that time, at that night. That took great faith for Moses to say, hey, we're going to do all this. Because it wasn't like they were just sitting around in Egypt after nine plagues there was turmoil, there was great turmoil in that country. And there they are. And we, if if we go back to Exodus 12, verse 13, it says, the blood shall be a sign for you and on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And we know the rest of the story. The angel of death comes down to Egypt and those with the blood over their doors, were passed over they were not destroyed and then the following day we see israel then begin to leave but they are delivered from slavery so by faith moses instituted the passover now we cannot imagine again how the instructions of the passover went against i believe all reason i it wasn't as if moses was saying wow I think went against his reason, but it, the, the emphasis is faith. And it was the very first ordinance, the very first law given to Moses and the Hebrews. Why? Why was it the very first? Why do I bring that out? Well, by faith, through obedience, we see the obedience follows faith, they were saved from death and delivered from slavery. So that's the obvious truth, okay? But this Passover is given for another reason. Because it pictures what? The great sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So what I just explained to you, sh- for Christians who have faith, then we look to Christ and we go, that's what faith, that, well, look, it looks to him. That was just a picture, a shadow, a type for us today, for those who call on Christ. Today we do not slaughter though a lamb and put its blood over our doors. We don't do that. Why? Because, as the book of Hebrews tells us, and we've been going through, because Jesus died on the cross and He rose again and our faith is in the blood of Jesus, this one, one-time one sacrifice. And So when we think about the context of Hebrews, the end of the old system of worship under the law of Moses, came to an end, okay, in this one-time sacrifice. Today, there is only one sacrifice, only one lamb, only one blood of this lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, because the blood of bulls and goats cannot atone for sins. So that is what Moses, by faith, did, and it pictures for us. And We're going to spend our whole next sermon on that, pretty much. How Moses is a type of Christ, but in closing today I have two two applications for us. First application from <clears throat> from this truth: works will not save anyone. That's interesting that Moses is the giver of the law. What does the law tell us? Tell us things to do. Right? That's what law does: do this, don't do that; do this, don't do that. But the Bible's really clear. We're not saved by the works of the law. Not saved by any works. We're saved by what? Faith. Faith. Faith in God's one time sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. The only reason the Hebrews were saved that awful night in Egypt was because of faith in the blood that they placed on their doors. As they look forward to the promise of God. This is faith. So today, we are not saved by any of our works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God so that no one may boast. So we're not saved by works. That's the first application. Second application which follows this. Really follows faith. Well, <clears throat> the application is this. In this story of Moses, we also see repentance. This is big. It's very important that we see the order of verses 24 to 28. The keeping of the Passover in verse 28, the sprinkling of the blood is the last thing recorded for us, not the first, not the second, not the third. The first thing recorded is that, what do we see? Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Then he chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than the fleeting pleasures of sin. There's a connection here with Moses forsaking sin that fleets away. And leaving Egypt, and le- or leaving the power of Egypt and going and being with the people of God. So he leaves the treasures. And my point here is that all of this happens before the Passover, recorded in verse 28. This is repentance. I think we see repentance in Moses' life. And repentance and faith always go together. I think of my own conversion back when I was in college. Like I say, many of you knew me back then and knew what my life was like and the things I did. I was converted. And way back when, as I think about my own life, I did not come to a knowledge of Christ without first a recognition of my own sins. And I, I'll have to say that when I, was, when I came home for the summer, And after hearing the gospel, and I started reading the Bible, and Jimmy talked to me, and we went to church at Blackwelder, and we did some revivals, and this and thing. It wasn't so much at that particular stage that Christ was my focus. My conviction was my sin, and how I had just the way I was living my life, and I knew I didn't know that much about the Bible really at that particular time, but. I just knew my life, need, I needed to get my life right. That There was this great sin that I had committed, not just one, not just two, not just three, but millions of them, and that I was a sinner, and I needed to, and I didn't know really about repentance, or, but I knew that's what, that's what it was. And so I came to a knowledge of my sin, and then when I read the book of Revelation that night in my room, then I saw the gospel, that Christ died for my sins. And that is when I can say we sing Amazing Grace. You know, we there's that why I can't remember the one verse says it, it, it we know what it is. The hour I first believed, we 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 don't see it till then. But there was repentance, and then I believed Jesus died for my sins. So I would challenge you, first of all, if If you're not a Christian today, because I don't think that all of us are in here, that you would consider your sins before a holy God, that he is not happy. In fact, it's not just he's not happy. The Bible says the wrath of God remains upon ungodliness in this world. That is the case. So I would urge you to think about your own sin and say, you know, if I'm not a Christian, just pray to God. Give me grace and repent of your sins and then look unto Christ. That is what I did. I think that's what we see with Moses. Repentance before faith. They go together though. who to say exactly how God works there, but they go together. And I think this is so important when we go out and tell people about Jesus or when we preach the gospel from pulpits. We must consider sin. I think what we hear in this world now in Christian preaching is what? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, this may be true, okay? But that is all that is emphasized in many cases. God is love. God is love. God is love. But we must must see that we are sinners before a holy God before we then see the love of God for God. So love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish. Not perish from what? Sin against a holy God. Therefore, there must be repentance. So today in our culture, again, there's great preaching of love, but it is void often of the preaching of repentance. A.W. Pink says this, To make men believe that God loves them while they are under his wrath is worse than a physician telling a diabetic that he or she may eat what he wishes. And those of you, Amber, you know you can't eat what you want. We get that. <laughs> we get that. We get that. We need to know that we are sinners before we come to Christ. This is, why there, this is why there's great value in the preaching of the law, the commands of God in both the New Testament and the Old. This is how we must preach the gospel. So in closing today, I must ask, what about you? Is repentance your daily desire? Is it, or is it something that even every other day it's something that is normal in your life because repentance is not a one time event where you walk an aisle raise a hand or go and then you know then live as you desire repentance is a grace from the heart that God grants as is faith so you may not be asked to to leave a palace like Moses left the palace, but we are commanded to leave the world of sin, for sure. And so this is exactly what we see with Moses. So in summary today, I, <clears throat> I hope this has been helpful. It's been her- very helpful for me this week. And we'll keep going next week with more on the pictures of Christ. But in summary, faith, one, unites the heart with God's people. Two, faith views suffering as worthy something valuable with God's people. Three, faith endures, and and last, faith looks to God's sacrifice um, for salvation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these words and these just truths. I know I've missed lots of stuff, but Father, what we did here today, uh, even if we didn't hear much, may each of us hear at least one thing. May we know that you did so love the world that you gave your only Son, only begotten Son, that if we believe in him, we would not perish but have everlasting life. As the Hebrews placed that blood over their door, so by faith we place, you place the blood of Christ over our hearts and over all of us. We know that when Jesus died on the cross, he took our sins upon himself we give him our sin. He gives us his righteousness. And we are free and we have peace and we have been reconciled with God. Help us today in all the things that we're going through. Help our faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church. China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.